This is Wait, What? Politics with Zuma and Steele. Wait, What? is your political recap. We'll tell you who's making news and what it means to liberals and progressives everywhere. And we'll interview the newsmakers that make it happen. So from the nation's capital, here's reporter Jimmy Zuma. And from the great state of Arizona, here's Senator Victoria Steele. Hi, and welcome back to Wait But. I'm Jimmy Zuma. Victoria's family has had a tragedy, and she'll be back next week. My guest today is Dr. Terry Jodry. You may remember Terry Jodry from our COVID update a few months ago. He has decades of EMS experience. He's an assistant professor of emergency medicine at George Washington University, former medical director for the Prince George's County Fire and EMS, and um, travels internationally to medical hotspots with the International Medical Corps and Team Rubicon and the Global Emergency Medicine Initiative. He served in New York during the pandemic, and he's been doing a lot of uh, COVID work, and he's also been doing a lot of catch-up work for other kinds of medical problems around the world. Dr. Jodry, welcome back. Always a pleasure, Jimmy. Yeah. How are you doing? I've got nothing to complain about. However, that has not, as of yet, kept me from complaining. (laughs) I seem to remember a similar... uh... Introduction last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of my stock some answer to that question. <laughs> some things don't change. So um, you just got back from the Dominican Republic, and this is a situation where you were not doing COVID-specific medical work. Per se, this was a, a return visit to uh, evaluate data on work we were doing regarding treatment of stroke, heart attack, et cetera, medical emergencies, and setting up transport systems from rural hospitals to the uh, mothership, as it were, in the capital. Mm -hmm. However, nothing in healthcare these days is devoid of COVID. I mean, COVID is predominant in everything we do. And particularly, it's interesting because we did not know this at the beginning, but uh, a lot of the heart attacks and strokes we're seeing now are actually COVID-related. Uh, the, the virus has an effect on uh, vasculature that causes those sort of uh, diseases. Weaknesses, anomalies, all related to having COVID and yeah, okay. So we're seeing an increase in those things? Absolutely. Yeah, and that's true here in the United States too, right? Completely true. Yeah, the incidence of stroke and uh, coronary disease is increased. However, it's hard to... to, to to quantify it quite well, simply because so many people are afraid to enter the healthcare system at this point in time that many people are suffering at home. Uh, the the incidence and prevalence of people dying at home without a diagnosis is higher now than it's ever been in our history. Wow. Yeah. So Nobody the, wants to go to the hospital. Or can't. I guess a lot of the hospital care is shut down. Um, The emergency rooms and hospital ICU units seem to be filling up or full now. Well, yeah, quite a bit. And in fact, if you talk to people in the particularly hard hit areas today, you're seeing that their units are full. And not only are they full, but we all know the wave is coming. Mm Mm-hmm. So the wave is no, no, hasn't no. even arrived. In January, February, we are we are going to reap the benefit of the poor management in a public health way of this disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we've all seen how 
uh, terribly the Trump administration has addressed this and how many Republican governors have been reluctant to take the steps that they need to take to cut down the pandemic. And then you have governors like Kristi Noem in North Dakota who seem hell-bent on making things as worst as they can possibly be. Well, you know, it's not just that they haven't done the right thing. I mean, you've seen a lot of activity aimed at doing the wrong thing. You know, we, we are completely clear from a public health standpoint that we can decrease the spread of this disease by by operationalizing very simple, easy-to-use public health mechanisms. And not only are we not asking people to do that in many instances, we're actually ridiculing them for doing it. Right. Uh, it, it's as if it, during World War II, uh, we invited Tokyo Rose to run the, uh, the, the war effort. Right, right. And I understand Trump is getting ready to start up his extinction event rallies, Right. Again, uh, you know, Christy Nome, who I'm talking about, um, had the continued to have the Sturgis rally, which was 250,000 bikers from all around the country. And you can see the tentacles that have spread out from that. Um, you know, we're having a lot of these anti-mask marches around the country still, although that stuff has calmed down some with Trump on the way out, I think. Well, not altogether have they calmed down. I mean, they are still occurring with with some regularity. Uh, the fervor may be in terms of large public gatherings, uh, anti-mass gatherings might be going, to, uh, might be decreasing. But I don't know that the sentiments completely decrease. And at this point, I just have to plug in here and say that Trump and the others are aided and abetted by people who have degrees who should know better. And I'm specifically referring right now to your good friend, our pal. Dr. Scott Atwood, who... <laughs> Not really my friend. Yeah, who is, you know, he, in all the brilliance that he brings to public health with his, you know, specialty in neuroradiology, you know, with a, 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 a specialty in which he is no longer board certified, by the way. Yeah. No, he was board... Well, let, let's give him his due. He was a very bright radiologist, had a good education, went to University of Illinois, went to U, you know, Chicago Med... Uh, became fellowship director of neuroradiology at Stanford, where he trained many fellows, uh, edited a fantastic book on the, I say fantastic, I mean, I have little knowledge of neuroradiology. Right. But uh, uh, about uh, MRI uh, of the brain and spine. Uh, And then at some point in time, like around 2000, he abandoned uh, technical and clinical practice and decided he wanted to get into public policy. And he joined this fine institution called the Hoover Institute, which uh, is named after Hubert Hoover, right. you know, one of our other fine presidents, uh, who actually started the institute. And then he started writing papers about things that he clearly knows nothing about. Right. Uh, you know, he was a huge advocate for the abolition of Medicaid and Medicare, uh, completely against the Affordable Care Act, uh, so, you know, his, his damage didn't start with COVID. Right. In case you're wondering, you know, Terry's a pretty sarcastic guy. And a lot of the stuff he's saying is about what a great guy Scott Atlas is, is not reflected on his face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me say, you know, also, you know, amongst me and my colleagues, there has been a lot of cry to have this guy lose his license. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say here, I don't support that. I don't think we yank somebody's license because they have bad opinions. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
However, I think he should be held to account for the damage he does. You know, uh, look, I'm a doctor. If I go out and I promote things that are clearly not in the best interest of the public, I should be held to account. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you're imagine, uh, let's imagine you're an engineer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you start going out saying things that clearly are not in the public interest, like saying, uh, this whole seatbelt thing is a lot of malarkey. Let's get rid of it. Mm-hmm. They would hold you to count. You know, they would, they would not allow you to continue to do that. And in fact, when you look at the, uh, the, the faculty Senate of Stanford university, which houses, it's not the Hoover, the Hoover Institute, but it houses the Hoover Institute. They sanctioned him. They said one more time and you're out. Uh, yeah, well, it's been one more time, so it's yeah. <laughs> time for Scott Atlas to go. Yeah. I mean, I do think I have trouble believing um, that medically educated people believe things like we should get rid of Medicare and Medicaid. Well, he, here's his solution to that. His solution is we should have uh, uh, health care savings accounts. Right. So if you're a single mother with three kids, you're working for uh, minimum wage as a nursing assistant, okay? A health savings account that's tax-deferred is not going to be the answer to your health care. It's going to have the same amount of money in it as your other savings account, which you don't which even you don't have because right. you can't put any money in it. Hand to mouth. Right. Yeah. You know, he also, the other thing that, he, that they really, they should have clipped him when he did this a number of years ago he uh, is an advocate that we discontinue using certain metrics for the quality of healthcare. One of the ones he spotlights is uh, infant mortality as a measure of system healthcare quality. Mm-hmm. He says it's bogus. Now, everywhere in the world, anyone who knows anything about, you know, epidemiology, about public health, not necessarily about, you know, MRI of the brain <laughs> per se, but, you know, real public health thinks that's absolute poppycock. Right. Or as we say where I come from, bullshit. Well, I, I think that's the thing. Most of what he says is just utterly ridiculous. Uh-huh. Um, you know, political, he wants to run for public office and he's willing to say or do anything to do that. And that's, you know, where I take issue with the idea that these are just his opinions. I think these are craven um, lies aimed at providing a political benefit to him personally. He's not so different from Donald Trump to me. And um, I don't think he has any place in public health. Sure. Yeah. Well, the other thing I will just say, like in closing, because I, I don't want to spend like a ridiculous amount of time on this charlatan, is, uh, you know, his history politically, he was advisor to a candidate for president in 2008. He was the, the medical advisor, healthcare ad, policy advisor to a candidate in 2008. And that candidate was Rudolph Giuliani. And, you know, if you draw a Venn diagram of these guys, it's not a Venn diagram. It's just one circle with a bunch of goofballs in it. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at the numbers. The current numbers, 12.7 million cases in the United States, 260,000 deaths. Uh, about 2,000 new deaths every day is the rate we're seeing now. and Get ready. Yeah, you think it will be much higher? I, I think it's unquestionable. I mean, I don't think anybody with an IQ with three digits in it thinks that this number is going down. I mean, just yeah. because we're not doing anything yeah. to stop the, it. The um, Our death rate is, though, now more comparable to the rest of the world, which says to me we are doing a lot more testing. 
um, because, you know, we're finding cases, uh, people are dying at the same rate that they're dying in, on average in the rest of the world, two to 3%. You know, before when we were deliberately not testing, it was 10% or 12%, and we knew those numbers were bogus. Um, well, I have to say a lot of the numbers are bogus, Pierre. The, the one thing that we cannot, uh, although some people will say the death numbers are bogus, they say, uh, well, in fact, your president, uh, Donald Trump, has said, you know, doctors for their own benefit are claiming deaths are COVID-related when they're not. Uh, but that's the number you can't fudge is the death rate. The death rate. If the other numbers, I, I, I think many people, and I tend to agree, would opine that the numbers are incredibly low in terms of infection rate. Well, we're seeing some states that have 30% yeah. positive testing rates. Right. You know, that's the, and you know, one of the things that people are still arguing about, uh, I had a discussion about this the other day is contact tracing. And I think that one of the things we talked about last time was how difficult it is to do contact tracing with so much. You can't contract, uh, contact trace a million cases a week. You yeah. can't do it. There's just no, I mean, it, you would, it, you, it would require, you know, a quarter of the population of the country to be involved in the tracing. It's just impossible. Well, and there's a, an, a web of overlap, too, that makes it diff difficult to mm -hmm. follow source to, you know, follow the, where the, the tentacles yeah. lead. And, you know, just another thing about contact, contact tracing. I, I mean, I can't, it's a fantastic public health strategy if applied well to a population that will comply with it. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have a certain percentage of the population that does not even believe that the disease exists, how, how can you conduct contact tracing in that set of circumstances? It's just, it's just impossible. Now, if we could get our numbers down to like some reasonable, reasonable uh, number, this, this could work. But I mean, at this point in time, it, we're beyond contact tracing we're all hands, you know, everyone in the bunker at this right. point in time. Right. Yeah. Everyone's exposed. Everyone's, you know, and of course the, the Scott Atlas idea of herd immunity is yeah. not going to save anybody. Yeah. And it's amazing if you go on, you know, fabulous sources of information like Facebook. Okay. <laughs> and you hear people throwing around this term herd immunity that they heard on Fox news. Right. It just makes it very clear how uh, unclear this is to the population. And again, you know, we can blame Donald Trump. We can blame Scott Atlas. We who know something about epidemiology and public health, we have to take some responsibility because we have failed miserably at educating the public mm -hmm. about what a t pandemic is, how diseases are spread, and what we can do to, 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 to ameliorate it. So, you know, yeah. woe is me. Not just woe is them, woe is me and my colleagues, because we have not done a good job here. Well, in that vein, can you explain why the idea that doctors are um, say, saying that it's a COVID death for profit doesn't really make sense? Yeah. Uh, well, first, let's, let's, let, let's look at the data that people rely on to say that. They go, well, he died of pneumonia and he had diabetes and he died of COVID. What they're saying is COVID was ancillary to his death. Well, here's the way it works. You know, in, in the United States, when you fill out a death certificate, which I've done 
several, a gazillion times right. in my 30 years. What you do is you list all the conditions that contributed to the death. You would never just put on a death certificate COVID-19. It's COVID-19, hypertension, diabetes, pneumonia, heart attack, etc. And they wish to discount those deaths that are not specifically attributed to COVID, which is just absolutely bogus. Yeah. And that person with diabetes had diabetes for maybe years before they got COVID. So absolutely. they were living with those other conditions. Correct. There's other um, yeah. complicating conditions. Now, the, the notion, uh, they also make the statement that uh, physicians in particular are profiting from adding the COVID diagnosis. Right. And here's the way it works. You know, it, it, when you uh, make a diagnosis on a chart, that goes to a billing expert. And that billing expert has the authority to look at the various diagnoses. And certainly if COVID-19, the more diagnoses you have, the higher they're going to bill. So if COVID-19 is on there, aside from heart attack, cancer, stroke, then there will probably be an additional charge. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what they're saying is that we are adding this Just to, to, uh, make money. To, to jack up the bill, as it were. And now it's we'll really say, a big hoax you know, that doesn't you don't, exist. You, don't have, you can be the most ethical doctor or the least ethical doctor in the world. You are so divorced from that process that the entire notion is absurd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in many cases, you're going to be paid the same salary whether or not you put COVID on every death certificate or not. Um, that's not really how it works. Uh, okay, so people are still saying scamdemic, too. Even yesterday, you know? People on Facebook, other social media are still using words like scamdemic, uh, seeing people drop all around them and they can't quite understand why uh, that might not be a fake thing. Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing. I have had the opportunity to speak to a number of people who before and after have not and then have had the opportunity to know someone or be personally affected by this disease and the transformation, the metamorphosis is palpable. As soon as you know somebody who has died from COVID or is affected by COVID, all of a sudden it becomes very real to you. So that's what needs to happen. These people need to experience a death because I think they are. I mean, if well, you look at, if they haven't yet, they're going to because it's out Midwest of control. States that have 30% yeah. transmission rates. Right. You know, these are rural states. They don't have a lot of people in them. They not only don't have a lot of people, they don't have all the resources of like urban areas. Rural so hospital their, system. Their, their systems are taxed and right. they're about, you know, we, we are once again constructing a lot of tents, you know, and I will say for myself, I'll practice medicine anywhere, but I'm getting a little tired of practicing medicine in tents out in the parking lot of hospitals. Right. How have hospitals adapted to get to where we are now? Have they really made a lot of changes that allow them to have greater capacity? Or what's going on in the hospital system to address this? Well, I think hospital, you know, hospital administrators and, and people who do this kind of planning are, are pretty adept at doing it. Mm -hmm. But you have to realize uh, you can only do what you can do. You can, you know, beds, you can make a bed out of a plywood plank, right? Mm -hmm. And this is one of the amazing things when you when you listen to CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, NBC, CBS, they're like bed capacity. Well, bed is like a piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. 
the equipment doesn't take care of patients, okay? You need nurses and respiratory therapists and technicians and doctors, you know, and, you know, and the more they're getting sick or, or you know, even worse, running away scared because we, mm-hmm. we're seeing it. You know? And, you know, people who went in with the charge at the beginning in March, April, May, okay, they're done. People are done. They're used up. They're used up and, uh, and, and not to mention, you know, let's say you're used up and you don't leave, okay? You're used up and you're providing care. Mm-hmm. This is not the way to run a railroad. Right. You can see I'm kind of tearing up here as I'm yeah, saying it's this because it's not... Uh, it's a serious tragedy. It's not... Uh, it's bad, man. It's very bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, You know, I, the people that you work with in New York, I'm sure a lot of them are really having a tough time dealing with this. The ones that survived. Yeah. 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 Um, and, then, and then we're starting to see refrigerator trucks all around the Again. country. And of course they call them mobile morgues, Yeah, but they're not, they're the same thing. Your Purdue chicken. Yeah, yeah. Your groceries trucks. get delivered yeah. in mobile morgue. Purdue, is a way Purdue of, as in David Purdue. Right. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. I had to sneak. I couldn't, you know, with, as, as mama, world. as one mama would say, yeah. my mother who Jim and I have known for like all of our lives would say, yeah. God love him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the equivalent of, uh, it's the Boston equivalent of bless his heart. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Terry and I have known each other a long time and it, you know, he started, I guess your first job out of high school was working in an emergency. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I was an emergency room technician at Providence hospital in Washington, DC, which no longer exists. You still had a continuing relationship with them until they closed. In a manner, you're of closing speaking. a lot of hospitals. I mean, you yeah, close Leland, well, you, know, you close Providence. I, I, yeah, I've ended a lot of things. You <laughs> a know. lot of nice hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's a trail of tears behind me. That's for sure. Yeah, let's um talk for a little bit about what we have to look forward to and what we should be doing. What's the current protocol that people need to follow? The individual protocol that people need to follow. Yeah. Well, uh, it, 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 I would be amazed if my answer to that would be new news to anyone. Right. But the guidance could not be more clear. If you are leaving your home, you should be wearing a mask. If you're in your home, you should be in your cocoon with people who you regularly are in contact with, as in your family and the people you live with. You should not be inviting a, a lot of people into your home. Okay, You should be washing your hands every time the clock hits, you know, 12, as in the second hand. Uh, you should be social distancing. When you go out and have to do things, you should maintain distance from other people by at least two meters or six feet. Uh, you should avoid any kind of mass gathering. And this is the guidance as we speak. Some of these things, like not having people in your home, we didn't recommend that six months ago because... It wasn't necessary, but at this point in time, because we have boofed this up so badly, now we're in real crisis mode, and we are rapidly approaching the point in time where we're going to tell you don't have contact with other human beings, period. Isolate. Isolate completely. Uh, If you're sick in any way, you have the sniffles, a sore throat, you lose any kind of taste or smell, you need to be away from everyone, period. Complete quarantine and isolation. That's a lot of people, you know, even 
with seasonal allergies are easy well, to confuse. Well, yeah, again, for, you know, we, we're in November. Right. It's flu season. It's flu season. The interesting thing is I think, uh, all things considered, we're likely to have less of a bad flu year than, uh, than other years because all the things we do to prevent COVID, if we do them, they prevent the flu as well. It's also interesting. I've just come home from the Dominican Republic where it is bad, bad, bad uh, asthma season mm-hmm. wow. because people present short of breath and you don't know which is which. So until proven otherwise, everybody has COVID. And we're going to start seeing that here as we get into December, January. You know, everybody has the flu. They're going to have COVID until proven otherwise. And the testing paradigm right now is such that turnaround time is not quick. I mean, the number of tests has gone way up, but as it has done so, the capacity to process them has not. And we longer, haven't... Longer delays. Longer delays. Yeah. And, and again, in, in terms of using test as a strategic uh, decision-making point, the longer it is between the test and the result, the less likely it is to be beneficial in terms of controlling viral load in the community. And again, we have made a horrible mistake of trying to convince people, okay, it's between me and you. I'm with you. I give it to you. You give it to me. It's, it's the, the, in an epidemiologic way, it is much more appropriate to think of the entire community and the viral load or the disease burden in the community. Because if we can get that down, then we can do things like contact trace and isolate people appropriately and open things up. Mm-hmm. But until then, we, we're just, it's, it, for me, it's like watching a, an automobile with children in it coast towards a cliff and you can't do anything to stop it. And even worse, you have other people like Donald Trump and Scott Atlas pushing the car closer to the cliff. It's just, it's, it's despicable. Well, Donald Trump made a, you know, play and his intention was to save the economy, no matter how many lives it cost. Uh, and of course, not the economy, save the stock market. Let's right, be clear. Right. Save dividends for his pals. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care about the economy. He cares about his pal. Well, the stock market is so detached from the real world now that right. it's, it's just a, you know, it's, it's like a chess game. It's not a, right. It's not and, a real and, measure know, of the economy. And, and you know, People say he was incompetent. He wasn't incompetent. He did a fantastic job. Savings rate, investment rates, through the roof. Who's doing it? 10% of the population. The rest of us, screw us. And I think that that's um, a good measure of the effect of what has happened. But his gamble was that he could keep the economy strong by letting people die. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's a fool's game because you can't keep the economy strong when people don't have money and are dying. Right. And are, you know, stressing the healthcare system so that other people who have other diseases can't get treatment or it's postponed. Um, I also, I can't help but wonder. I mean, I don't think he's smart enough. Uh, In fact, I have to agree. You know, there's very few things I've ever heard a former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson say that I would agree with. But the one thing is, he's a fucking moron. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, like, if you think he's running the show, you know, he's not running the show on immigration, Stephen Miller. Right. He's right. not running the show on the economics, right? Right. You know, but I, I I, can't help but think in a sinister way that their whole game plan was, okay, we know everything's going to fall apart, but it should fall apart in 2021 after November 2020. 
Oh, the old George Bush strategy. Exactly. Pass it along to Barack Obama. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and he will. And, you know, and here's the unfortunate thing. When the, the house of card tumbles, this is the way we are as Americans. We will Jimmy Carter, Joe Biden. We'll go, oh, now the economy's all fucked up. It must be Joe Biden's fault. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it wasn't Nixon's fault that right. the economy fell apart under Jimmy Carter. It was Jimmy Carter's fault. Well, and this has happened so many times. Yeah. You know, Republicans ruined the economy and then, and then Democrats can't fix it quick enough. So they get right. thrown out. Um, I have a feeling, though, with the change in demographics that that's not going to happen because this younger generation of voters, Gen Z, is becoming of age now. They are a bigger generation than baby boomers, and they are strongly progressive liberal in their values mm -hmm. um, and multicultural. Well, that, I think that's why we've seen the results of the election we've seen just now. Right. Point blank, you well, know, and, you know, people of, uh, you know, our demographic are dropping like flies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, black people are the kingmakers in the Democratic Party. So anytime they turn out, we win. Right. So. Well, I, mean, I, I think that, you know, you can say pretty clearly whenever there's high turnout in any way, Democrats win. Yeah. Which is the, which lends perfect support for, you know, the, the excellent strategy of voter suppression. Right. You know, you, you, Stacey Abrams is the future of the, of the Democratic Party. I agree with that. It's like, OK, she didn't win the election for governor. But she damn well got everybody else elected this year. Right. And she may well be responsible for two senators coming out of Georgia. I think it's unlikely. As we but say I don't in Spanish, ojalá. Yeah. yeah. Ojalá. If she, if she can retain her enthusiasm, mm -hmm. uh, the enthusiasm of the voter she's recruited, then we have a chance of winning those two seats. Kind of let's move on to talking about what's going to happen in the future. What are you expecting now? You told me some alarming things before we went on the air about the, the direction this is going in um, that surprised me. Can you tell us a little bit, of, just run us through a timeline of what you think we will, will be yeah. happening? And Well, I can do that. But of course, my conjecture about this is probably, you remember that it's I'm better the, than mine. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you remember I'm the guy back in the 1970s who made a bet with you that we would never have computers in our homes. Okay. Well, so that's yeah. my track record. Uh, because they're and, too and, big and we'll never be yeah, smart yeah. enough. Yeah. And just to be but, fair, I I bet people that Reagan would never win a second term. Yeah. So we both have skeletons okay. in our closet. Yeah. <laughs> so predictive value being what it is, uh, I I am predicting that sometime in mid-January, the healthcare system is going to essentially collapse. And uh, all of healthcare will be uh, aimed at uh, caring for people with very bad COVID disease. And we will be in a set of circumstances where very, very difficult, you know, unthinkable decisions will have to be made in terms of uh, resource allocation. Who lives and who dies. Who lives and who part. dies. Yeah. Well, I was trying to yeah. sugarcoat it a little because, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, that's, yeah. and you know, to a certain extent we saw that in New York. I mean, we had, and you know, people touted that as oh, these doctors are murdering, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you do what you can you know, you, you have to understand there are parts of the world where this is the reality every day. Uh, and it's not been our reality, but it's going to be our reality. You know, I'm predicting in the middle of January into February, it's going to get really, really ugly. And uh, people with other healthcare needs that we have, you know, prior to this been meeting, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're going to add to the death rate. 
Well, they're not only going to add to the death, they will add to the subsequent death rate. There will be a slight delay in that. You know, the person who needs a cardiac catheterization because they have an 80% blockage, well, that 80% blockage can become a 95% blockage because it wasn't attended to properly. Physicians' offices will continue to be closed. People will not be attending to their cholesterol. You know, the, 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 the notion of prevention in a disaster goes way to the back of the bus. So th these are results... Uh, these are consequences that I think we can probably rely on to, to occur. Now, the caveat here is if we actually get a vaccine out and distributed, perhaps by summertime, mm -hmm. we will uh, start to turn the clock back here. Uh, but again, this relies on people actually taking the vaccine. Uh, well, I think people are a lot more comfortable taking it in a, you know, because Joe Biden says they should take it than they were with the idea that taking it because Donald Trump said they should take it. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, well, that depends. I mean, I think you're, you're, you're thinking that everybody follows the same leader here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But let me ask you another question. The death rate is about uh, 2000 people a day now. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, if this gets worse and worse and worse, what are we looking at? I, you know, again, Double? Yeah, that's exactly what I think. But what I think is, it, you know, you're going to hear a lot about what people think. Mm -hmm. Let's look at what we see. And, and, and another one of our failures is we kept saying, well, soon there will be 250,000 dead Americans. As if we said, okay, that's going to be the end of it. We need to educate people. You're going to see, you're going to see 750 thousand dead Americans before this is over, maybe a million, you know, from this disease. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm already pretty much guaranteed, you know, we lost 405,000 Americans in World War II. Uh -huh. We're basically guaranteed to exceed the number of people who were killed in World War II, all of right. World War II, um, and keep going. You're saying double. Correct. Double the number of people Correct. that died in World War II are going to die from this pandemic. Uh, while, and I just, while people have yeah. their thumb up their eye and eat. Uh, you know, and, and that's the interesting thing. When you look at it, uh, if you go right to the middle of 1943, mm -hmm. right, like or end of 1942, like right in the middle of World War II, you didn't have people talking about their liberties, you know? Yeah. You didn't have people saying, you can't tell me to turn my lights out during the Blitz, you know, in London. You didn't, right. you just didn't have it because there was a collective consciousness and there weren't people like actively encouraging you to do the wrong thing. Okay. Or you might've had, them. I don't know. You might've had them, yeah, but I they mean, sure the hell were not people, the president of the United were, yeah. States and their medical advisors right. telling you to do the wrong thing. And it just, it makes my skin crawl that we can watch this go and, and see this lack of leadership. It just makes me cray cray crazy well and now he's completely lost interest now that he's lost he's well no he now he's gonna play golf, golf. Yeah. yeah right at our expense right um well that's fine you know god love him go play golf just shut up yeah. don't say anything else just go play golf and you know let the adults come and take over yeah if you were the president of the united states or a governor of a state say a governor of a state with a high transmission rate, what would you mandate? Well, I would certainly, I would certainly mandate universal precautions as in mask use. Yeah. I would certainly mandate public health measures that have been shown 
to be of effect. Now, here's an interesting one. Again, if you go on Facebook, and you and I probably don't have the same Facebook friends, but you, you see... Oh, I'm sure we don't because I've blocked a lot of your friends. Yeah, oh, I've blocked a lot of my friends as well. <laughs> I've decided it would... Rednecks from BG County. Yeah. Uh, you know, where they go, where they just can't, it, with, their, with all the wisdom they have in their common sense, they can't understand why you would close a bar at 10. Oh, I see. I am seeing that. Yeah. Why? It, it, like, they just can't get it. And part of the problem is they're not very bright. And another part of the problem is we haven't helped them be bright. Okay. Because epidemiologically, and, you know, people who understand epidemiology understand what are high risk right. situations for spread. And one of them is people consuming alcohol later at night. Right. So it makes perfect sense to do that. But they're thinking, again, with our, you know, collusion to a certain extent is, um, you know, the, you know, what's the, the, the virus is outside waiting for 10 o'clock to come in because we haven't explained to them it's about viral load in the community. It's not about me giving it to you. But all of those people have had some drunk spit talk on them and they were in a bar. You know, all these bar dentists. Well, have had, you know, you and I have been in that we've done it. We've done more it. than one occasion, you know, actually. All of them have had some guy, you know, yeah. particularly I'm thinking of uh, uh, women, but it applies to everybody. Some guy get in their face and invade their personal space, talking to them without realizing he's doing it because he's drunk. Right. And Precisely. You know, there's a lot more hugs. And you know something? That happens, you know, if, if you really graph it, that happens. When does that happen? Doesn't happen at four in the afternoon. Right doesn't happen during happy hour. It happens like 10 to 2. I just wanted you to know what the, the basic state of the art in COVID relief is. And I know Dr. Chaudhary has been a popular guest on this show before. And hopefully you'll be a guest on this show again. Um, well, it's always a delight in it. You know, if, if I can just say one thing in closing, sure. you know, we're at war. We are people at war. And the extent to which we contribute to the war effort, things will go better. And if we don't, then things will go worse. Right. Be a soldier. Do the right thing. Don't be a collaborator with COVID-19. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Thank you, Dr. Terry Jodery, a renowned international emergency medicine expert and my buddy for... I don't know. 55 six, years. 55 years now. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming on the show. And um, I hope that you're wrong about December and January, but I have a feeling based on my experience that you're right and yeah. that you've understated the problem. Uh, I hope that's not true, but uh, if it is, we'll deal with it. And uh, we'll have actually a, a executive branch rowing in the same direction as us. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's it for Wait What this week. We hope you'll uh, like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter. Um, hope you'll uh, subscribe to us on, on Apple Podcasts. That's very important to people finding us. And uh, I hope you have a good weekend. I hope your Thanksgiving went okay. And I hope you're safe. So take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for today's show. If you find yourself saying, wait, what? Don't worry, we'll be back next week. Subscribe to Wait, What? Politics with Zuma and Steele on your favorite podcast app or visit waitwhat.media and try out our quick takes. So here's the thing, commentary from Victoria Steele and the Zop. 
Topical Explainers from Jimmy Zuma. I'm Monica Price.